Brené Brown, the sociologist and researcher and author who in the last 10 years has, I think for many of us, become a voice of wisdom for the journey, and even the Christian journey, talks about the voices that shame and accuse us. Those voices in our hearts or maybe our minds or maybe our imaginations or maybe voices that even we audibly hear. The voices that say, you're not good enough. Or, who do you think you are? When we read the stories of Jesus in the wilderness, or when we think of our story of origins in the Adam and Eve story, or maybe even when we ponder the Job story, that deal in the back room between God and Satan. We need to remember that this character, the tempter, is not in our long story this red, horned, hoofed, maniacal character who is tempting many into his lair of fire and eternal doom. But the voices of the tempter, similar to the voices that Brene Brown talks about, are real. And they are voices that are part of the fabric of the universe. Yes, there are evil spirits and forces. Perhaps you know that hymn that says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. We're in the wilderness with Jesus, in the season of Lent, and the voice of the tempter asks, who do you think you are? Jesus has just come up from the waters of his baptism. The heavens were open for him. He saw the Spirit of God descending, alighting upon him, and this voice from heaven saying, this is my Son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. The tempter's no fool. And remember, in this original story, there's no chapter breaks. Jesus is drenched with water. He's bathed with heavenly light. He pronounces to all of creation as the Son of God, beloved. And then this very next question. Since you are the Son of God, Do something. Make something. Prove something. Secure your life by your own devices. Take charge, will you, Jesus? You must be famished. So command these stones to become loaves of bread. The tempter twists the who do you think you are question, doesn't he? It's more like, I know who you think you are, so prove it and get on with your solitary life of privilege and power. But Jesus knows who he is, and Jesus knows whose he is. He knows his story, and he knows God's story. Jesus knows his scriptures. That's good news for us. And we've heard in the First Testament reading today that Jesus 
probably had portions of this memorized. There was this people named Israel who were in the wilderness for 40 years, tested, put under stress, and they too were famished, struggling to survive, struggling to hold their nerve and their sanity. Greg read Deuteronomy 8 for us, and I'll reread a portion where God says, Remember the long way that your Lord God has led you in these 40 years in the wilderness. In order to humble you, testing you, so that you might know in your heart whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger and then by feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted with, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So the tempter's taunt still hangs in the air. So, Jesus, what's it going to be? And Jesus reaches into the God story, into the scriptures, and says, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, who's just come up from the waters of his baptism, enfolded in the community of God, his heavenly Father speaking words of affirmation and love, the Spirit descending, nurturing, protecting, like a mother who cares for a newborn child. Jesus will not go it alone. Jesus will not prove himself by himself. Jesus will be nourished and sustained by total surrender to the word of God. So how about us? How are we feeling these days in the wilderness? Are we feeling nourished and sustained? In these early days of Lent, I've heard some people state this truth, and it really resonates with me. They've said, life is Lent. Has anyone heard that? Life is Lent. You really want me to give up something for Lent? You think I'm a sucker for punishment? What are you talking about? Yet, the season of Lent is good, good for us. It gives us this way to frame the Christian journey. And for those of us, and we're a church that follows the Christian calendar, it pushes us through these different paths, these different feelings, individually and corporately. And I've said this before, Lent allows us to tithe 10% of our year to the Lord. And to tithe to this season of somber reflection, lament, struggle. And this Lent, way more than any others, at least for me, it's a time of hunger. We're hungering for connection, for nurture, for embrace, for touch, for intimacy. We long for the human vibrations of being with one another. And we hope and pray in this year's Lent to find comfort and consolation.
we are in this wilderness journey. It's a wilderness of uncertainty. It's fear. It's stagnation. It's frustration. It's agitation. And when the voices of accusation ask, who do you think you are? What do we do? What do we do? In Lent, I would encourage us to listen for the voice of Jesus, the living word who does pronounce companionship and guidance and protection and security. This living Jesus who speaks to us of daily bread, who reminds us of the manna mysteriously showing up each morning. This bread that is a promise of sustenance that pours forth into our lives and proceeds from the mouth of God. Again, I want to remind us, as I said a couple of weeks ago, this is not the time to be Christian superheroes. This is the time to be Christian mystics. I want to show you a book that uh, I often reread in the Christian calendar year, and often I return to in Lent. It's this book by Henry Nouwen. It's called In the Name of Jesus. It's a book that focuses on the three temptations of Jesus. And in this book, Nouwen writes of the Christian mystic. He says the Christian mystic is the one who is rooted in relationship with the incarnate word. Jesus, of course. And finding in him the source for words, for advice and guidance. Listening to the voice of love and finding wisdom and courage. He names it as the move from moral to mystical. He's not saying don't be moral, but he's saying that the mystic Christian is the one who dwells in God's presence who listens to God's voice, who looks at God's beauty, who touches God's incarnate word and tastes God's goodness. I'll phrase that again. Dwells in God's presence, listens to God's voice, looks at God's beauty, touches God's incarnate word, and tastes God's goodness. We don't have to do all five of those practices every day in the season of Lent, but I encourage you, we've got 19 days in the Lenten journey left, and maybe we might be comforted or consoled by one of those postures or moves. I'm thinking during the virtual coffee hour today, we ought to talk and maybe share a couple of stories. Where are you dwelling listening, looking, touching, or tasting, and sensing God's love and presence. You might pause even for a couple of seconds right now. Where are you dwelling, living, seeing, touching, and tasting? And I'm not wanting you to just do more stuff in the season of Lent. Not just conjure up your own way of turning stones to bread. 
but posture yourself in a way where you can listen for God's heart. And the whole point is that we're trying to follow Jesus. And as we said last week, we're trying to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer of our faith, casting aside those things that so often encumber us and entrusting our lives and our hearts and our bodies into the hands and the heart and the word of God. A God who's not asking more from us, but a God who surrounds us, who sustains us, and yes, will feed us. And when we surrender our wills and our need to control and conquer, when we take moments to dwell and listen and look and touch and taste, the community of God enfolds us. The community of God assures us that we are loved and that then we can too journey outwards and love. And this love and the mystic embrace of the community of God rebukes the voices of evil. It silences the threats and the taunts of the tempter. And it compels us to abide in this way of deep, lasting life. One more quote from Henry Nouwen. He says, Jesus' heart is the incarnation of the shadow-free first love of God. That's good. Jesus' heart is the incarnation of the shadow-free first love of God. And from his heart flow streams of living water. Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Let anyone who believes in me drink. And of course, that famous promise of Jesus, come to me, all you who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. Shoulder my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. These words proceeding from the mouth of God are our daily bread. So take and eat of the Lord this week. The word of the Lord strengthens us. When the accuser, when the tempter speaks to us this week in the wilderness and says, who do you think you are? When those voices accuse us, Maybe at first we scramble for an answer because we're shaking in our boots and we're fearful, we're overwhelmed, or maybe we're just plain exhausted. I remind you, I remind me to dwell, to listen, to look for Jesus. His promises are words of life. And may his life feed us and protect us as we say we are God's children. We are God's beloved daughters and sons. And with us, the community of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. With us, God is well pleased.